Carlos Allende's newest novel, Coffee, Shopping, Murder, Love, is a comedic thriller from Red Hand Press, full of scams and shenanigans. Jignesh is an overweight gay Indian man involved in embezzling money from his job. Everything seems to be going as planned until he accidentally murders a co-worker. He hides the body in a deep freezer purchased from Charlie, a man he met on a dating site. But things go haywire when Charlie finds out his secret and more bodies begin to drop. Carlos talks to us about the real-life inspiration behind this story, creating characters that are messy, dislikable, and lovable. Stay with us for another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. We're your hosts. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And today we are joined with a very special writer who was our special feature book uh, for the month of July. Um, we are joined by Carlos Allende. Carlos Allende is a media psychology scholar and a writer of fiction. He has written two previous novels, Quadrillas y Contradanzas, a historical melodrama set during the War of Reform in Mexico, and Love, or The Witches of Windward Circle, a horror farce set in Venice, California. Based on his research on narrative persuasion and audience engagement, he developed the course, The Psychology of Compelling Storytelling, that he teaches in the writer's program at UCLA Extension. He currently lives in Santa Monica with his husband. His book that we are talking about today is called Coffee, Shopping, Murder, Love. Welcome to the show, Carlos, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for being here. This is an absolute pleasure. Um, we love your book. It, <laughs> thank you. Everybody that I talked to while reading this book, every time I would tell them what was happening, they'd be like, what? What? <laughs> and a friend of mine called me um, before our interview, and he was like, just tell me, how does it end? I want to know how it ends. So I was able to tell him how it ended. And he was like, oh my God, <laughs> this book is amazing. We enjoyed reading every bit of it. Thank you so much for writing it. Um, but I'm going to pass it off before we get started <laughs> talking about your book. We like to do a little, a little special thing with all of our authors. Yeah, we like to ask you some questions, get to know you. Um, nothing to... Nothing too hard. Um, since we're about, you know, coffee, shopping, murder, and love, we would like to ask, what is the most luxurious luxurious thing that you have ever bought, excluding like maybe a house or a car? Oh, um, uh, a painting. Uh I uh went to my husband and I went to a uh, auction and there was this beautiful painting and it's this big and uh <laughs> And I said, wow, if that was $1,000, I would buy it. And it was 7000 I didn't pay that much because it was an auction. But uh, mm -hmm. so the auction started at 2500 and I was just playing and I was raised my my palette and nobody else did. So I ended up with it. And, uh, and, and it was cheap based on the uh, actual price. Uh, yeah. So I guess that's the most luxurious thing. And I and I love it. I where is it hanging? In our bedroom. Uh, I should show it to you. You want to see it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we got a tour. <laughs> oh, the, uh, uh, let me disconnect this. Uh, I don't know if you can still see me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the bedroom is a mess, but I can show you the free zone. Uh, that's a painting. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, that's as oh. tall as me. Yeah. That's Oh. It's a Korean painter. I forgot his name, but uh, it's Sublime Number Something. Because he has, he calls all all of his paintings Sublime, or many of his paintings. Oh, and, uh, wow. 
Yeah, so that's the most luxurious thing I have ever bought. And uh, I don't normally spend that much money in art. In art. Not that I don't think it's worth it, but uh, I don't have the money. <laughs> that's, that's one of my dreams, to buy like a painting mm -hmm. or like maybe a sculpture or something that people can be like, oh, what is this about? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, like you said, it's... It, worth a lot of money for so many good reasons because it is you know from a genius work of of somebody yeah that that yeah. piece when it was an accident i wasn't planning to spend that much money i, I just won the auction <laughs> i mean i was i assume i i'm in la it's all these rich people in an auction and everybody somebody's gonna beat me and nobody did <laughs> but that is that is that is a nice painting yeah that is it was meant for you to have it um so what is your go-to order for coffee when you are getting ready to write? Well, uh, I don't normally uh, drink coffee while I'm writing. Oh. I drink coffee when I'm out. So coffee and I have a very bad relationship. And uh, <laughs> so we're frenemies. <laughs> and I, I keep quitting and drinking more coffee. So right now I'm, um, I'm drinking coffee. I just had a big latte uh, this afternoon. Uh, but I've been on and off for years. And uh, what I order is a latte with uh, soy milk or almond milk or something like that. And when I make it, I, I make it the same. I, we call it cafecita. Yes. That's my, my husband. Uh, in, he he tries to make give the name in Spanish, but sometimes he gets the gender wrong or right. And it just keeps. <laughs> so now it's called cafecita instead of cafecito. <laughs> See, like I also I recently just got back into drinking coffee and I like my uh, my coffee iced. It's a very controversial topic, <laughs> but um, I've drank iced coffee since I've been introduced to coffee, whether it's hot or cold, like the weather. It's all yeah. it has to be iced. Um, and I, I used to drink a lot of coffee, but now I'm like one cup a day if I have any. Oh, that's good. That's good for someone who likes, you know, an avid coffee drinker. Usually yeah. people are chugging those things all day three, long. Three times a day with every meal. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that was me in the 2000s. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. What are we in the 2000s? We're a lot of things. <laughs> um, which character from the book would you take on a road trip? Huh. I would say, I would say I would have to take Charlie. Uh, <laughs> I'd, well, I mean, both of them. And uh, But uh, Charlie was inspired by a very good friend of mine. And I would go on a, on a road trip with that friend of mine. So, so uh, yeah. You'll be entertained uh, for hours. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that, that's, that's my friend, Christopher. He's a friend I dedicate the book to. And uh, he talks nonstop and uh, he digresses constantly. He's really <laughs> nice. He's not as awful as Charlie. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's, I, I'm just, everybody, uh, he's not an easy person to have a conversation with because he's just like Charlie. But as a writer, I'm just amazed. And I just, I kept, keep listening to what he says for hours. Okay. <laughs> um what is your favorite movie or television show huh movie i would say howard's end and television show i really love the dorals at corfu in, in corfu or mm -hmm. we love pbs cheesy dramas from the bbc <laughs> <laughs> there's something wrong with that <laughs> um so have you ever been like scammed or were you a scammer but it was because of love not for scam by love uh well i wouldn't call it a scam betrayed maybe <laughs> but uh but uh no uh, i don't think i have ever been scammed or been a scammer like, okay, okay. like under false pretenses no i think when you're gay you don't need to lie <laughs> you don't have time for that right right <laughs> all right so um 
now that we've we've gotten that part out of the way and and we feel like we know you a little bit more, we want to get to know your book a little bit more. And so we would like to know what was the origin of this novel for you? What's the origin story on how how this book came about? Okay, I have I guess many sources of inspiration and I would say the oldest which I incorporated in the book after I had started uh planning the book was a dream that I used to have as a teenager. It was a recurring dream in which I would wake up. Well, I would dream that I had killed somebody in the kitchen and my mother was watching TV in the living room and I was trying to hide the body and I didn't know who I had killed or why. I, I was just left with the body. I, I didn't even see the body because I had already yeah, I, I had already packed it in, in garbage uh, <laughs> bags. And... Uh, and it was an awful sensation. I would wake up thinking that I had actually killed someone. And for a few seconds, I was like, oh, my God, who did I kill? I can't remember. And and I would think, like, am I suppressing memories? I killed somebody and, and I was coming back in a dream. And then uh, I, I guess upon reflection, I realized that it was that the corpse represented the shame and guilt we grow up with for being gay. I, I mean, the shame I felt hiding it from my mother. So it was such an awful feeling. I thought I had to put this in my book. And that was part of the seminal ideas of the book. And uh, I don't I don't want people to read the book and feel awful, but I want them to experience that sensation. And I don't know if I accomplish it, but you... Uh, Jignesh is trying to get rid of a body. So I wanted to make the reader feel what, what, what it is like to suddenly find that you kill someone and you have to get rid of that body and feel the shame and the guilt and all that. And and because uh, you know you're guilty. So, I mean, I you're not guilty as a gay guy, but you feel as if you were. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so that was one of the inspirations. And then I just wanted to write something fast and easy. <laughs> and uh, I was lazy and I just, uh, I wanted to write about a mother. And first it was inspired by a friend, but he was, he, he he's very negative and very goth and very mother stuff. He likes all that. But then I thought like, oh, he's not a great character. And then I came up with Charlie and then I replaced Irene, a friend with uh, another one, an Indian, a friend who's Indian American. And I think that just clicked perfectly. And uh, so the book is very much inspired, not based, inspired by people and places that I actually know and have lived. And uh, what was my daily life in the, uh, in the uh, tens, uh, uh, I, I used to work in vacation rentals like Jignesh <laughs> and uh, so it's easy I now that I teach I tell my students don't try to invent characters I mean it's a lot of work they won't come out fine just get inspiration of people that you actually know and and it will be so much easier and that's what I did I just I just borrow the personalities of people that I knew I made I mix them with myself and I just made the worst version of those guys and, and that's how I came with the book so for for those who may be listening right now who um have yet to get a chance to get their hands on your book can you give just a quick I guess we should probably should have asked this in the beginning yeah. can you give a quick synopsis of what uh your book is about so there are two main characters, an Indian-American called Jignesh and a white guy from Litchfield, Kentucky called Charlie. And uh, Jignesh, uh, in a fit of rage, kills an, the office intern. And we spent uh, the whole book trying to get rid of the body. <laughs> and uh, their lives get uh, tangled. And uh, they both represent, uh, I guess, uh, the extreme... Um, of anger and superficiality. Jignesh represents anger and Charlie represents extreme superficiality. He is, uh, and both of them are, uh, both of them are gay. Both of them are uh, middle-aged guys. And uh, both of them are losers, to put it that way. Both of them are like, it didn't get better for them. Um, <laughs> so. 
they're the, they're the common guy for I mean if uh I uh I guess I didn't hear this uh concept before but the book is my my antidote to toxic positivity mm. so it's not it's 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 dark comedy it's a farce it's satirical and uh, it's not I would I guess it's not your com I, I mean I haven't read much gay literature to be honest but uh based on the covers it's not your <laughs> it's your it's not your typical gay book <laughs> right no it's 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 very different and I think that's what it it makes it kind of like you know refreshing in a sense even though it's like basically you said like the antidote but also it gives a different take to like murder mysteries uh -huh. a different take on like um seeing people's lives as they are like these are these to me and like for Veronica also like very real characters mm -hmm. like we can we can like identify somebody in our lives like maybe a little bit of oh. all all of these characters oh yeah definitely yeah. charlie charlie reminded me instantly of a friend that i have that i'm like does he know her like have they met <laughs> um because i've never met anyone like that except for her and so to know that you know there is someone else who has inspired this this character that's out there it's like oh i'm not alone like i have a friend <laughs> who's the same way and and one of the things that you know with in regards to talking about the characters, your novel is filled with some of the most dislikable characters that we have ever read in a very long time. And uh, no one in the book has a saving quality about them, yet it still seems as if those parts of those personalities drive the story forward in a way of desiring to find out what will happen to them. Um, so when you set off to write this story, what were you thinking in regards of how you wanted these characters to be seen and if you wanted the reader to ever root for them through the story. Yes, I wanted the reader to root for them, but I wanted uh, the reader to acknowledge that they're not likable people and their crimes are not uh, forgivable. I wanted the, the, the crimes they commit, you know what they are. Mm -hmm. And you know they're likable, not likable people and they're not people that you may want to hang out with but I still wanted the reader to root for them. And it was like my personal challenge. And uh, and I guess so far I achieved it. Like, like some people, not everybody loved the book, but many people liked it and they have their favorites and, uh, and it worked. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm that type. Mm. And I wanted, um, well, as a media psychologist, I wanted to uh, uh, bring evidence, demonstrate that one, you don't need to like the characters in the uh, in the traditional way. You end up liking them because they're funny, they make you fun. But I think when we choose whether we like or not a character, we're pretty selfish. We don't like them. We like them, their good qualities but we like them because of what they make us feel. And in the case of Jignesh and Charlie, they make you laugh and they make you worry. Mm. So it's where it's it's a very subjective personal experience. And we may care about their morals, but it's not their morals what decide whether you're gonna like them or not. It's how they make you feel as a reader. So there's a theory called affective disposition theory that says that we like characters based on on their morals i don't think that's true and uh i think it is based on what they make us feel I and mean, if they make us feel compassion which is what uh Dignesh and charlie inspire you because all of them are losers and you can see their need and distress i mean that i made it clear i tried to make it clear and i from the very beginning uh Dignesh kills an innocent woman but he's in dire distress because of that and his life is difficult and you end up feeling for them even if you know that he's guilty and even if you know that he doesn't he deserves to go to jail you hope that he does <laughs> <laughs> yeah when we were talking about this book and um especially in regards to Jignesh 
and Charlie's characters, you know, the, the thing that stood out in my mind that I could go to that I think probably was the first time that I ever felt this way about a character that from very beginning, you knew like, you don't like this woman. And it would be Cersei from uh, Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's a particular part of the scene where she's stripped from her title as queen and it has to go through this walk of shame and uh, this cult has come in and taken over her kingdom. And even though you don't like this character, you're kind of like, okay, you got to get your your shit back. Like you got to go and get your revenge. And you see this moment happen and you're like, yes, okay, you did that. You did that. And that was the feeling that I got when reading this book with those characters of like, you know, at the very beginning, I'm like, what is this? Like, who are we reading? Yes. Who, where's the person that we're supposed to like? And then you realize like, oh no, oh no, this is a, this is something different. This is, <laughs> this is a different book altogether. Yeah. Cause you know, like, like, I, like what you were saying earlier, you always find something that you like, you like a character because they do something that you, that personally makes you feel good about yourself uh-huh. but then i think what you did was like you presented as mirrors and it's like look we all have problems can you see your problem and if it makes uh-huh. you comfortable and it makes you worry like you said it's like oh it's it's hard to face kind of like reality at times mm. and like those characters make would make you feel like you're teetering over the edge and you have to kind of like examine your own self, when, which not a lot of people like to do. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I wanted I wanted people to also reflect a little bit of on on their own, and and uh, I think my criticism to American pop culture is that sometimes we we just venerate the hero, mm-hmm. and uh, and when I mean it's not that it's bad that we have. Uh, heroes and good characters in media we should but if all you have is that and you identify with those people you kind of fool yourself and sometimes you think like oh i'm a nice person too and we're all in general we're nice people but we're also bad people to someone else and we all are capable to doing wrong and stuff and so if you if you can put their yourself in the shoes of somebody committing uh crimes and 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 doing uh uh, immoral things then you can understand that just sometimes we break the rules and and we shouldn't do it i mean that's that's my my hope like put yourself in the in the shoes of the ones of the rule breakers and understand that we all can be that and uh i think my first like introduction to that is like when i was growing up because you know the philippines like telenovelas so uh-huh. the bad guy always has a backstory <laughs> So, you know, whether it might be the person that blows up that big bus and she's like looking in the bag and she's like laughing. Ha 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 I did it. But then like you realize why why is she doing that? Mm. And I think that really reminded me of like, you know, we have to look at the other side of the story. Maybe something else is happening. You know, we can't immediately judge Charlie for the stuff Uh that he's doing later on. But, you know we have to see like why he's staying because mm. I don't want to mm. spoil a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so like we said, we, we all know a Charlie in real life. Um, and sometimes because I'm an introvert, just thinking about them talking makes me already tired. Like, uh-huh. um, you know, they are, they are self-centered to a point of insensitivity at times, but they can also be the most loyal people to a fault. How was it being like in Charlie's mind while you were writing this novel? Mm. Uh, well, again, because I was inspired very much by a friend, it was super easy. I would be just like like putting myself in his pajamas and, uh, <laughs> and just writing and what would he say? And what would he say? And a few things, uh, much of it, most of it is my own words, but a few things were very verbatim that I was I was visiting him and he made a comment and I had to type it fast on my on my phone. And uh, he says, Charlie says at one point that somebody he, he remembers the hair of a drug addict driving a, a, a Crown Victoria from 1984 or something like that with 10 years of a 
fast food wrappers. And we're like, oh my God, this line is so good. It has to be <laughs> more <motorized." laughs> so, so Charlie was very, very, very easy. And uh, Jignesh is was also inspired by a friend, but my friend, he's not much like Jignesh. I mean, the only thing that they have in common is that both of them are Indian American and, and gay and, and big guys. And uh, but other than that, uh, not much. I think Jignesh has a lot of uh, all my all my negative traits. I put it there, and uh, and I just created a character. So he was a little bit more difficult to create, and uh, especially because I had to do some research and uh, I mean ask how would an Indian person pray? I mean a a, a Hindu person, and uh, what, what what's the food like, and how do you say this and stuff and and ask um, Indian friends like whether they think it was insensitive one passage or not. And, and, and thankfully they didn't. And uh, uh, I mean, so far, so good. <laughs> <laughs> so far, so good. I haven't offended anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so every time something happened to uh, Jignesh, um, you tap to his past, making readers understand that he might have reacted that way because of the traumas in his past yeah. how how do you bring back the reader to Jignesh's humanity after he had done some extreme actions <laughs> uh I never tried really to make people uh uh forgive Jignesh I wanted to make sure that the crimes were not forgivable they were there uh but uh, yeah I wanted people to understand uh where was he coming from and uh, and I also got a lot of inspiration of uh, gay anger. I think mm -hmm. uh, there's a joke that says, uh, how, "How is it like? Uh, a, oh my God! There, hell has no wrath like a gay man uh, um, slightly indisposed." Something like that. <laughs> but the original thing is like, "Hell has no wrath like a woman scorned." Something right. like that. But the joke is now like a gay man is slightly indisposed. <laughs> and I think, especially I think uh, queer people of my generation and older, not only gay men, but I think uh, all queer people of my generation and older, when you you grew up in a time when there was no internet, there was, there was no hope for marriage. You didn't know there were other gays. You had to discover like nowadays, uh, young gay people don't have it perfect, but they have it a lot easier because i mean the world has changed so for us in our generation there's still a lot of anger and resentment and yeah things have changed but that kind of lingers uh on you and on some people more than others so jignesh and charlie as i i wanted to make a reflection on that the the book is set one year before marriage became legal and uh so it's like the memoir of the last generation of uh, gay men that, that that grew up thinking that they would never be able to get married. And then, but then finally there's there's a hope. Mm -hmm. And uh, and sadly, I've seen a lot of uh, uh, gay men of uh, my age or especially older who, who never married. And because, I mean, now it's legal, but the train, uh, had departed already, so right. so it's, it's kind of tough. It's, it's 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 sad. It's 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 pretty sad. We never had a chance to bring a boyfriend home, mm -hmm. uh, like like a normal teenager would, or do, does right now. It's not perfect, but uh, the things have changed. Mm. Um, so um, back to Charlie. I if I think it's suffice to say that we that we fell in love with Charlie throughout the, this book. And um, one thing that stood out was his um, film and television pop culture references. They're constant throughout the story. Talk to us about how you chose to give Charlie this particular character trait and how essential it was to helping to see who he was within the book. So um, my friend, Christopher, he's very, very, uh, uh, he knows a lot of pop culture and he drops a lot of references. And so that's part of it. And also, uh, I love Balzac. 
and every once in a while, but to to describe a movement of a person or an attitude, Balzac would drop the name of an actress or an actor in some obscure play that I don't know about, but uh, but it was like I, it was as if I could see it. I didn't know the play, I didn't know the actor, but I got the reference. So I said, I want to do that one day, and I want to do it with a lot of uh, movies, pop culture. And it doesn't matter if the readers don't, don't get the reference. I mean, they're all from the 1980s, uh, 90s, perhaps. So they're relatively obscure now. And uh, I thought it was going to be hard, but actually it was very easy. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so you just had to remember. It definitely worked, especially I think one of the parts that stood out the most to me was the joke about how Charlie was like, oh, we're like Thelma and Louise. <laughs> and Mariah was like, but we're not picking up Brad Pitt. And I'm just like, yes, I love this so much. <laughs> and I and I think, you know, it it like you said, it introduces like a lot of stuff to like younger generation. Mm -hmm. Cause like I think I was stuck in the in-between part uh -huh. also. So I I know some of the the references but then other the other stuff I'm like I don't know why that's so funny but it kind of works but you know like and also going back to like this like peak of like you had friends that didn't even have this like freedom to do a lot of stuff that younger generation do and you know that stark difference if they can see that through your novel but you know in a, in a kind of like not really like sad way but it's kind of like you put a lot of humor in it but it like hits more because it's like almost like a satire and a dark comedy and like I think Jignesh really like makes that very apparent because mm. he's the he's literally the polar opposite of like Charlie yes. and I what makes it really funny to me too sometimes is when they would talk you would see like Charlie's self-centeredness i mean jignesh also has it too but jignesh would always be always like what's going on what's happening like the paranoia is like like he carries it everywhere like that guilt so i don't know it, i would love to see this like in a in a in in a little movie or like television show or maybe even like broadway because it would be so much fun oh, yes oh yeah <laughs> well fingers crossed so there's a lot of murder mysteries that are uh, extremely serious and uh, you've achieved taking this book into a different direction that we don't often get a chance to see and focus on characters. Uh, focus only, it felt like it was solely focused on the characters outside of the murder. Like the murder was just the, the you know, the accessory to yeah. the whole outfit of it. Um, was it, it an important factor to you when, when you decided to write this book of how much you really wanted just to focus on the characters rather than, than the murders itself? Oh yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the plot was going to be about getting rid of a body whose body I didn't know when I started planning it, it just came, but, uh, and, uh, yeah, it, that was the main plot, like two guys trying to get rid of a body. Well, it was one guy in the beginning, but then uh, pretty soon Charlie jumped in, and uh, but yeah, that it, it was going to be about expressing the feeling of having to hide your crime, mm. about having to hide your shame, your guilt. Yeah, I really, I think that probably is something that you don't often see when you're watching or reading a mystery. It's always about like, what is this case? Like, what is the mystery? And I love being introduced to the fact that you already knew who did it straight yeah. away. Like, Jignesh, he sat on somebody's face and just like, <laughs> did cry, right? <laughs> and how it happened to us, like, hilarious, like, it's not funny that somebody died, but it, how it happened was so funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, who does that? Well, Jignesh does. <laughs> so it's not like a case of who who done it. It's like, you know, trying to figure out how how, how you feel about it, yeah. how to go. Yeah, what, what are you going to do afterwards? Like, right. yeah, like. I mean, I don't know if, if if you guys have ever felt this when you're watching a murder mystery or something. Like, what would I do if I killed someone? I yes. wouldn't know. 
I would just say, please arrest me. I, I don't know. I would be too scared to try to hide from the police. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Not Jignesh. <laughs> so um, outside of you being a published art author, you are uh, the second guest that we've had on the show that has dealt with in the, this field of study uh-huh. of psychology. Can you tell us exactly what media psychology is and why that was the field that you decided to go and how you have done that as well as become this this writer? So, well, I wanted to write before before I was interested in psychology and I have always liked like psychology and writing, but I my background was in economics. Um, media psychology is uh, the study of how media affects the mind and behavior. So uh, how movies and, and storytelling and VR and AR and all the new technologies. And uh, <clears throat> my my concentration was in audience engagement and I mixed a lot of... Uh, 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 neuroscience there and uh, my goal was from the very first moment I, I said I want to know how to engage people how to make a, a, a book how to turn a book into a page turner mm-hmm. and it doesn't look like there's a direct link between media psychology and, and that but but yeah it, there, there is and and, uh, and that's what I teach right now how to how to engage people and uh, so I studied uh, boredom and I studied uh, neuroscience and I studied uh, how stories affect us. And, and, and my, my dissertation was uh, the, uh, what is it called? Uh, the motivational effect of compassion on securing engagement. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to understand why we like sad stories when mm-hmm. they make us sad, that they call it this, the sadness paradox. And the solution is, is very simple. You don't enjoy the sadness, uh, but they make you feel compassion and compassion and sadness are completely different responses. Like sadness makes you want to avoid and compassion makes you want to approach and help. Mm -hmm. So when you watch a sad story or read a sad book, you want to help the main character. And uh, And that applies in my opinion to to every story, when when you find a need, when you find a problem, you want to help. And that the more evident that the distress of the main character is, the more compassion you feel and the more you want to help. So the distress of Jignesh is evident from the very beginning. And the distress of Charlie too, you feel sorry for Charlie and you feel sorry for Jignesh, regardless of who they are. And um, and and the more the more you analyze stories, the more you realize, yeah, that's that's what makes us choose who we're going to root for. And it it helps if a character is good looking, if they're competent, if they're skilled, blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, we will always 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 root for the underdog. And uh, so, if anybody's an aspiring writer and is listening to me, the uh, the most important thing is to make sure that you're that the distress of your main character or the need is evident because we will always choose to root for the underdog. I wish I could sit in your class and just- Thank you. Well, I'm starting a new trimester soon. (laughs) Oh, I better get my paperwork in. I want want to be able to hear this for myself because there's a lot of things that go into making of a story that I think when when you're reading it, you're looking for one- Oh, yeah tell and then to know that there's all of these other layers that play into creating this story where you are like if it's written well you're pulling yourself through like I want more of it and you definitely did it with uh with your book yeah I think in the beginning like you know like it started out with Charlie so it was a challenge for me to like just understand him from the very beginning because I'm like what is happening? Why is why is there nobody that can like why is there no light mm-hmm. that I see from myself mm-hmm. in the beginning? But then I had to like really sit down with myself and was like, what is really going on here? Like mm-hmm. I had to I had to like analyze it from like the inside out and then look at myself. I'm like, maybe there's something I'm missing or maybe there's something that I'm not really doing. So mm-hmm. for me, like because we read a lot of books. You know, we we do we do this almost every week. 
So for us to have something that kind of like that stomped me, I kind of appreciate it because <laughs> yeah. it kind of like, you know, gives us an, a different perspective to things. And it kind of makes me check myself on how I approach like literature because it's not always, you know, because we when we read stuff, sometimes things almost kind of just come like natural. Like, oh, yeah, they're going to do this and this is what's going to happen. And you can tell what's good. Like, you know, like you have a general idea in your head how things are going to be. But like with your story, it kind of like not because it's a murder mystery. It's almost kind of like you have to deal with these characters and you have to sit in this bus that they're that they're like, you know, like or you have to sit in this train to reach the final. <laughs> yeah, know? the driver is drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, 70 percent true. <laughs> but, you know, it it. It it was it was a nice challenge and it was kind of like, oh, now talking to you makes me understand more about this story even more. And I'm like, that makes so much sense. Because yeah. you know, like as readers, we, we always want it to be about us. But your book made it about the book and not what the fuck we want it to be. Like yeah. you presented as a story and we're like, deal with it. <laughs> it was a palate cleanser, right? Like it. Mm -hmm. it it i think our our mouths or our reading you know senses got used to reading certain types of books and it like she was saying like knowing how it was going to play out and to read something like this let us know like oh this is a new flavor that we have not had that we have not had a chance to explore and so um yeah this is a this is a five star wine that we just <laughs> drank uh this week thank you so much for it um so uh, we were just curious if, if you were to have this sh book turn into a movie like do you have an idea of who you would want these characters to be who i would like to play them yeah uh oh my god what is the name of the uh guy that uh you know the uh the britney let uh britney alone what is his name the who uh uh leave britney alone he made a video and now oh i know who you're talking about yeah i forgot his name he, yes he, he would be a perfect charlie please. yes he would be a perfect charlie he does porn right now i don't mind he would <laughs> be a, a big audience <laughs> and his name for, is chris croker yeah yeah chris croker <laughs> i think he would do a perfect he has the accent he has the face, the body. I think uh, I don't know. I think he's a little bit too tall for Charlie. Yes, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, so that he will do a perfect Charlie. And Jignesh, I don't know. I will have to uh, to know. I I don't know that many uh, Indian American uh, actors that. Uh, well, he has to be big. He has to be middle age, forties. So I'm not sure, but we'll do the casting. <laughs> yeah, man, that 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 would be perfect. Who you already picked for for Charlie? I think um, that I really hope someone gets a hold of this book and comes to you and approaches you. I don't know if you are even considering turning it into a screenplay, but I would really like to see this thing where I can watch it uh because the story is amazing but in the meantime you all will have to go out and read it for yourselves yeah um because it reads to me like a script almost like mm -hmm. they already have their own like you know they, they're acting in my head <laughs> was there any hope for there to be an audiobook to go along with it uh we have not concreted it uh i mean i have just uh asked people if they might be interested the uh and uh so maybe we will. I I don't know. I, I have to talk to the publisher about that. Yeah. All right, Redhead Press, get on that because I think yeah. to hear it, it's just a lively story. Like yeah. <laughs> it's just so good. It's so good. So we've we've come to the end of our show where we like to ask every guest, every single person that comes on our show, we want to know your top five favorite books of all time. Or we give you options if there are five books out in the world that are about to be birthed that you want people to know about. Okay, well, my favorite five would be uh, My Brilliant Friend, the whole series of Neapolitan novels by Elena Ferrante. Uh, two from Balzac, Cousin Pons and Cousin Bet. They're mm -hmm. very good. Uh, Cousin Pons is... is 
It's a similar subject, it's different, but uh, it's also about two gay guys and a lot of horrible people. <laughs> uh, but in, in this case, the gay guys are the good guys. And uh, I love Alan Bennett. Uh, he has a, a book called The Uncommon Reader. Mm, yes, yes. It's about Queen Elizabeth discovering the pleasure of reading. And it's it's a book, I don't know, it's, it's a book about nothing, but so... <laughs> beautiful and, and and so pleasant to read and uh oh and uh, i mean I, I always go for the classics victor hugo's uh uh the hunchback of notre dame and uh or lemis like i read both as a teenager i haven't read them again and they're tough to read they're like yeah but uh once you get into them and it takes a big effort they're very good yeah i love lemis Arab. Mm. yeah i also read it as a as probably like as a teenager but yes it takes a lot of effort it and you know i think but it was it was worth the read it was worth the read anything that's coming up for you that you want our listeners to know about oh yikes i should know better i know that uh i know i uh, there's a novella that i'm intrigued about a, a cat i would have to google it fast but uh uh it won the uh uh best novella from uh from uh red hand press and that one i'm interested in reading but i, I don't even just because he has a cat in the cover. <laughs> are you are you a cat fan? I like cats. I don't have pets, but uh but uh but uh I like that one. Oh my god, I I'm uh, I have to put that in my homework. And the new novels coming out, I haven't had a chance to uh to uh I, I, I'm afraid I'm, I have been so busy and I had COVID last month and I was just so disconnected. That book, The Lesbianas Guide, I saw it in New York. I wanted to buy it. I didn't. I regret it so much. I still, I, 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 I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it. But I, oh, but yeah. So good, right? I talked to her last night. The book is amazing. You, I think you would really, I think you would really, and she told us what her, her follow-up would be about and we are just like bonkers. Uh -huh. If you you get it. Just wait for the second. The second. Is this yeah. the one the only cat knows? Only the cat. Yes. Knows? The only the, the only the cat knows. Yeah. Ruyan Meng. Yeah, I I love the cover and uh, it looks like an easy, pleasant red. Yes, right there. Yeah. <laughs> That's a cute cover. Little cat. Looks like he's up to something. That's up to no good. <laughs> Well, Carlos, it has absolutely been a treat to have you on the show finally and to be able to talk to you about your book. And we're so appreciative of you giving us your time um, and the space to do so. Um, hopefully, guess... hopefully more, more, more books in the future from you. Yes, we're uh, writing. Ooh. Well, if you so, ever yeah. need anybody to read anything you know we're here we're here for that <laughs> <laughs> well i i yeah i'm halfway and uh, i haven't corrected it yet but uh let's see let's see how uh i mean if when i explain the plot to people i feel so stupid because it's a dumb plot but uh but uh it's let let's let's say that it's my uh i enjoy very much the harry potter series mm -hmm. and i feel sad of um uh jk rowling's attitude i don't hate her i and and i feel like uh this battle like everybody angry at her and she gets angry and responds back so i said maybe nobody has told her a, a nice story about transgender kids mm -hmm. so that's what i'm writing and uh and and let's let's say that it's it's a, it's my very arrogant uh plot to change her attitude and I'm, I'm writing a, 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 a fairy tale for a transgender kid oh I'm, yes i'm here for it yes I, I grew up with the harry potter series and i absolutely love them but i cannot you know continue to support somebody that want to erase a group of people that i also love so you know i, I cannot do that 
I have yeah, to... I, I, I feel that it's just she do, just doesn't know enough. She, I mean, because because that's uh, many times the origin of racism and prejudice and homophobia and all that is that you don't know a person uh, from the other ethnic group or the other uh, gender or the other. Uh, but once you get to know them, that's why representation is so important. I mean, I must confess when I was a kid or uh, back in the day, like transgender people scared me, but I didn't know any. Mm -hmm. All I saw were uh, 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 parodies on TV and they were always the bad people. They were always murderers or psychos or stuff. And uh, But nowadays I know not a lot, but I know a few and they're really nice, lovely people. And and uh, so that's that's what we need. We need more stories that tell us about everyone and uh if anything of her recent behavior i think it has motivated a lot of people to say we can create our own our own stories our own exactly. fantasy that yeah. shows us in the light that we want to so kudos to you two wanting to pursue yeah. that and we cannot wait to read that and whatever else that comes out of you in the years to come so on that note we we bid you adieu thank you, you enjoy. so much Enjoy Thank the rest you. of your, your California day. <laughs> <laughs> it looks so nice and not hot like over here. So oh, it is a little bit hot today. <laughs> well, we share that experience. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we, we say good night. Take care. Thank you, Carla. Have a good night. You too. Bye. 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 We hope you enjoyed our show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Vulgar Geniuses. Our theme song that you're not in your head along to was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Dammit. That's S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast. See you soon. Deuces. Deuces.